If you've ever wondered about doing the big trip, whether that's around the world, Alaska to Ushuaia, London to Cape Town, or maybe just a few months exploring another foreign country, if you've ever wondered if you could possibly have what it takes, or perhaps you doubted that you have what it takes, this rider that you're about to hear today should set you straight. Her name is Bridget McCutcheon, and by November this year, 2023, she should be able to claim that she was the youngest woman to ride around the world by motorcycle, according to Guinness. But even without that title, if she doesn't get the Guinness record, she did ride around the world, much of it by herself, camping and staying in foreign destinations, dealing with foreign border crossings, rules and regulations, paperwork, police, planning, shipping, and languages she couldn't understand. And she's only 22 years old. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Sam Mannequin, Simon, Simon Pavey, Bill Bergoon, Helga Pedersen, Jocelyn Snow, Charlie Borman, Simon Thomas, Lisa Thomas, Grant Johnson, Graham Jarvis, Elspeth Quentin Smith, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters. CyclePump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Okay, um, my name is Bridget McCutcheon. I am from northern Wisconsin, and currently I am riding a motorcycle around the world. Bridget, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. It's really interesting to hear your voice because I hear it a lot in my homeland. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great to have you on. Now, what are you doing traveling around the world? Why are you traveling around the world? I am attempting to set the world record for the youngest woman to go around the world on a motorcycle, but I'm also breaking the record for youngest person, according to Guinness. Uh, how old are you, by the way? I am currently 22. 22. So at, at 22, round-the-world trip on a motorcycle, how do we get here? You said you come from Wisconsin. I think you grew up on a farm, did you? I did. I grew up on a farm in the northernest part of northern Wisconsin you can pretty much possibly get. What kind of farm is that? Um, it was an organic farm. We had cows, pigs, chickens, horses, sheep, ducks, goats, and... Gosh, pretty much everything you can think of. We almost had llamas, but thank God we didn't do that. <laughs> so it's a full-on farm. That's a that family farm, is it? Yeah, I have um, three brothers, two sisters, and we're all pretty close in age. So we all grew up on the farm. It was all just us. Like for my entire childhood, I was homeschooled. So I spent my entire childhood on the farm and 
some of my young adult years. Oh, wow. So you were homeschooled. Is that just to keep you on the farm, keep the child labor there? <laughs> uh, I'd say a little bit, but mostly um, my parents didn't have, I think, the greatest experiences in public school, and they wanted us to have the experience and responsibility of the farm. And I, that was the main reason I've been told. <laughs> but You're not sure if it's, a, it's the labor thing. We actually homeschooled our kids as, as well for a while for the same sort of things. And we, we found it was oh, a little nice. better. So it's a, it's a neat way to do it. But what about um, riding motorcycles? Did you start riding when you were young? No, I didn't. So I got a motorcycle when I was 19. And before that, most of my siblings had them. So it started with my oldest brother, Michael, who got a motorcycle when I was very young, probably 10-ish. And he rode it in Wisconsin winters, which if you're familiar, they're very intense. And he made his own sidecar. He's sort of an engineer. And he did that. And then my older brother, Thomas, got a motorcycle. And then my dad got one. And then my sister, I think, got one next. And then I was like, all right, I, you know, the signs have been signed. And I got one. And then my little brother got one. So everyone except my mom and my oldest sister has had or has a motorcycle in my family. Oh, wow. Okay. So there's some influence right there. But how do you get from riding a motorcycle to deciding to do a round the world trip? <laughs> so it goes back to family. My oldest brother, older brother, Thomas, did a trip to South America, which you interviewed him while he was there. That's right. Uh, I remember that. He, yeah. It was, it was pretty crazy. Um, but he, he came back and he ended up having to leave his motorcycle there him and Shane both their motorcycles are still there mm. um but he came back and i think it was late 2021 ish i was talking to him and he was like you know there's this record for youngest person to go around the world on a motorcycle and i'm too old to do it but you at the time i was 20 and he was like you can totally do it and i was like nah um, but eventually I talked to some of my friends about it, especially one of my, um, Sea Scout instructors, which is, it's like Boy Scouts, but on boats. So better. Mm -hmm. Um, she was like, you know, why are you telling yourself no? And just, just think about that. She wasn't like, oh no, you have to do it. Or it was very open-ended. And I thought about that a lot and I decided there wasn't a good enough reason for me to tell myself not to do it. So... <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> so that gets you on a around the world trip, trying to, to break a record. It seems like kind of a big thing to do. What do you have to get a hold of Guinness for this and make a bunch of arrangements? Yes. So one of the first things I did was get a hold of Guinness World Records. And the record had already been established. So I just sort of went off the coattails of that and... Eventually, I got requirements from them, which actually, it, Guinness, I guess, is really busy because you'll talk to them, you'll send them a message, and then they send you a message like three weeks later. But <laughs> I talked to Henry right. Crew, who was the last guy to do the record, and he was very helpful. And yeah, then I 
I think I spent a year and a half planning the rest of the trip and mostly just figuring out or trying to figure out what I needed to do. And then, <laughs> and then I left for the trip and the war in the Ukraine started and my plan for the Asian continent completely fell apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, so originally I was planning on going through Russia. Um, I even waited, I think a month longer than I needed to in America to get a Russian visa in my passport. And then the war in Ukraine started and Guinness basically said, we don't want you to go through the Ukraine or Russia, which was fine for the Ukraine because I wasn't going there. But I originally was planning to go just through Russia, go to Vladivostok, which is the most eastern like city-ish in Russia, and then shipping home via there. <laughs> and then I couldn't do that anymore. So I had to figure out very promptly how to get through the Middle East and Eastern Asia, which wasn't quite as much difficulty as I thought, but definitely was very imposing at the time. Why did you want to do it to begin with? I mean, around the world trip, you know, it sounds exciting, but being the youngest, I mean, what does it do for you? What did you expect you were going to get out of it before you left? (sighs) Oh boy. Um, I think the reason I started, the reason I started is not the reason I kept going for sure. The reason I started kind of goes back a little bit when I was 19, the same year I got my motorcycle, I went off to Washington and I started working on a tall ship called the Lady Washington. And it was the first time I had ever actually left home. Like, I don't think I had ever been more than a state or two away from where I lived in Wisconsin. And being homeschooled, I never traveled, ever. Mm. Um, But going to Washington, it was like this giant door was opened. And I all of a sudden realized I could do things. (laughs) I could travel. I could, like, go see things and... I did my first motorcycle trip back to the boat. I I left the boat, I went home, and then the next spring, um, I did my first motorcycle trip to Washington from Wisconsin, and I was super hooked. So when my brother suggested to do a bigger motorcycle trip like this, like I said before, I was very hesitant, but also the idea of literally seeing the world firsthand on a motorcycle, which was already a way that I really loved to travel, was really exciting. And I had never left America before. <laughs> um, so it was just awe-inspiring is the word that comes to mind. So I, I think I started because I just wanted to see things. I figured out I could and I wanted to go meet the world. Going around the world on a motorcycle though, is huge in most people's mind. I mean, the planning alone is daunting. The, the money that it takes to, to save for this sort of thing. Why did you think you could actually do it? Like, What, what gave you the feeling that this is a, achievable for you? I think 
It was everything was so big in my mind. I thought I couldn't do anything. When I was on the farm and before I left to go to Washington, everything pretty much seemed impossible. So when I left and suddenly the thing that I thought was impossible, me traveling anywhere, was possible, it was... I it was very naive of me, but it was sort of like, why, you know, how could it not be possible? I did this one, you know, this mm-hmm. going around the world thing is the same. It's just longer and significantly more expensive. <laughs> um, and I had a lot of encouragement from my family and my friends, and I don't think I would have done it without them, especially my brother. There, there's a obviously a certain degree of risk riding around the world for anyone. You're putting yourself out there. You're going to different countries. You're dealing with different border crossings, different rules and regulations, traffic, et cetera, et cetera. Did, did that give you any apprehension before you left? Uh, yes. I, for a while, I was kind of in denial. I was like, it's fine. It'll be fine. And I, some point came to the realization that I am, on a daily basis, absolutely putting my life at risk. And there's just no getting around that. Whether it's crashing by your own fault or more likely having someone run into you or something else happening, it is is very dangerous. But at the same time, in a normal life and normal circumstances, we're constantly surrounded by dangers that are so mundane we don't think about them. So I'm just surrounding myself with very unmundane danger. <laughs> so you, you think it's sort of the same as, as being at home, like sort of similar dangers? Um, the same. I don't think I get to be that bold, but I'd say it's similar. You took on the task of becoming the youngest woman to circumnavigate the world. So you've obviously got a time limit on this. You mentioned Henry Crew, I, I think, set the record before you. How old was Henry? Henry was 23 and some change, almost 24. And I'm mm. hoping to be done on November 4th, so almost less than a month away. Um, and my birthday is on the 16th, so I will still be 22. This adds a certain amount of pressure, obviously, when you're going. You're, as you mentioned, you're, you're getting close to the very end of it now. What did that pressure feel like when you're starting out? I mean, you're onto a journey you've never done before. You have no idea what's ahead. Nobody could know. And you've got this deadline. I mean, how serious were you about that deadline? How much pressure did it put on you while you rode away that first day even? The first day, I was just so relieved to be going and to not be planning anymore and on some level not be worried about the same planning I'd been doing. It was just like, well, now we got to (laughs) go. Um, there are restrictions with the record. The one that I felt the most is I can't stay in one place for more than two weeks. So it's been Mm. a year and some more, and I have not stayed in one place for more than two weeks. And it's, been really hard at times because you never get to truly rest. It's always 
what's the next thing I have to do? Where's the next place I have to go? How long do I get to stay there? I need to line it up with the seasons. Um, I need to line it up with the visa that I'm getting. So there's a lot of pressure planning wise. Even there's some sections that, you know, were very chill, like certain parts of South America. It was just sort of a day by day basis. I'm going south. That's what I'm doing. But at times there was, there was a lot of pressure and it did get really overwhelming. But I had, you know, friends that were with me in South America, the entirety of South America. I had my best friend Kiva with me and that was a big help. So that was right from the start. Kiva was, was with you right on down to South America. Yeah. So we did, I, um, so I met Kiva a month before I left for the trip and we did not oh, know wow. each other at all beforehand. And she basically met my mother at a farmer's market and my mother told her my entire life story and what I was doing. <laughs> and she sent me an email and she was like, Hey, I think it would be fun to go through Mexico with you. And I was like, okay, like you can come. Sure. And Mexico turned into all of South America, all the way down to Ushuaia, Argentina, up to Buenos Aires, Argentina. And then her bike went home via her dad. <laughs> but then she came over to Europe for a little while. And now she's in Japan working on a farm. I'm very jealous. But yeah, she, she was with me for South America. Wow. So she had a month, less than a month to plan to get on her bike and ride down to South America with you. And she just goes. Yeah. No, I, this is the <laughs> greatest part of this, I think, is people are like, wow, you did so much planning and blah, 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 blah. Kiva literally, when I met her a month before we left, she did not have her motorcycle license. Whoa. And <laughs> that woman bought a motorcycle. She bought the same bike as I have, the Kawasaki Versys X300 borrowed some gear from her dad, hopped on the back of the motorcycle, took it to Colorado, worked for a little bit while I was bouncing around the States. We met up in um, San Diego, did Baja in Mexico. And she wasn't even planning on doing South America. She was just doing Mexico. Then Mexico turned into Central America. And then, you know, that when we got to the Darien Gap, aka Panama, it was kind of like, all right, we're doing it. We're going all the way. So she's, she's a really tough lady and I love her. <laughs> That's amazing. It's just incredible. I think it's incredible that you would even want somebody to go with you who you don't even know. I mean, isn't that a bit of a risk? What if you just didn't get along? Well, <laughs> there was, I'm, I'm a pretty chill person. Um, and I did when we, first started talking to each other and before I was like yeah you can come with me we did have a lot of phone calls with each other and I told her I was like Kiva this is more serious than a marriage <laughs> <laughs> like we will have each other's lives in our hands at points no it's true it's a good point yeah but it was at the at first it was kind of tense like the first two months or so there was definitely some of us working things out um but once we got into South America, it was a lot better. She had gotten better on the motorcycle. 
um, we had sort of worked out a system. There was some rough spots. Um, there was the week from hell, which in one week, Kiva's chain broke tight twice. We got robbed um, and I got hit by a car. <sighs> this is kind of, it's kind of scary stories that makes people not want to travel. Okay. I want to hear about this though. Robbed. What happened? So we were in northern Chile and we had just left Argentina. This little device will change your ride. And after you use it, you're going to wonder why you didn't try it sooner. That's how I felt about it. It's the Atlas Throttle Lock, and it holds your throttle position when you're cruising those long stretches of road. It's what every serious rider needs. The Atlas Throttle Lock was invented by Heidi and David Winters from an experience they had when they were doing their round-the-world trip on their KTM. And what they made is such an incredible product for us riders. It's super thin, finely crafted piece of metal that clamps onto your handlebar in just a few minutes. You can swap it easily from one bike to another as well, which I really like. But aside from the the intricate details of this thing and the fine design, the beautiful looks, it's really the way it works that I think makes it the rider's companion. It's got two buttons on it, one for engage, the other for disengage. And you simply just press the button with your thumb to engage it. It holds your throttle position. You can add more throttle, take throttle away. It just holds the new position. You simply twist. And it's the tactile feel of those buttons that tells you exactly what you're doing. I mean, it is so well-designed, so well-balanced. There's no need to glimpse down. It's just incredibly well-made. The other button is for disengage. It's as simple as that. The Atlas Throttle Lock is designed to fit most every bike. I absolutely love mine. AtlasThrottleLock.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio, atlasthrottlelock.com. You may have read a book called University of Gravel Roads. If you haven't, you should. University of Gravel Roads. It's about a guy who rides around the world on $25 a day. He completely falls in love with overlanding by motorcycle, rides everywhere, runs out of money. I mean, there's so much adventure in this. He spends far more time doing it than he planned. And then in the end, he decides to share those places and what he found with other riders first through his book, University of Gravel Roads, and then talks that he did, and then through these incredible motorcycle tours. That guy is Rene Cormier. And Rene has twice been nominated to the Canadian Motorcycle Hall of Fame. And back in 2012, he was selected to join the Ted Simon Foundation's Jupiter Travel Committee of Advisors. Rene's company is called Renadian Adventures. Renadian Adventures. Rene and his team of full-time guides and backup crew now run motorcycle trips all over the world. Africa, Mongolia, South America, Scotland, New Zealand, Canada. These are upscale boutique accommodation adventures, not like what Rene did on his trip, <laughs> but they're small groups, under 10 bikes per group. His tours are largely selected from his own favorite places that Rene experienced on his trip around the world that feature big landscapes, and not many people. So if you want a real motorcycle adventure, check out renadian.com. That's renadian.com. And when you do, of course, mention there that you heard him here on Adventure Rider Radio, renadian.com. 
travel. Okay, I want to hear about this though. Rob, what happened? So we were in northern Chile and we had just left Argentina after being in Bolivia. And we went into this town to get groceries. And we had gotten really relaxed at this point because everybody, you know, everybody was really nice and we had, we were tired and sort of let our guard down. So we both went into the store and left our stuff on our bikes. Like, I think I carried in a few things. She carried in a few things. Mm-hmm. Um, I went out early to check on the bikes and to eat my food that I gotten. And all of her bags were gone. Her tank bag was gone. Her top bag was mm-hmm. gone. Her side bags were gone. She had a hard case that had like her laptop and some other stuff in it, like her passports and, and important documents. Um, yeah. My tank bag was gone. Other than that, all of my stuff stayed probably because it looked really bad. <laughs> um, but yeah. And oh, that was, that was hard. I That's had devastating. To, yeah. I had to walk back into the store and tell Kiva that all of her earthly possessions had walked away. So what do you do at that point? Well, we filled out a police report, which, you know, they never found anything. We ended up getting a hotel just across the street from the store that everything had been taken from. We walked around a whole bunch looking in garbage piles. I set up a GoFundMe for Kiva, which was pretty much instantly reached. And she was able to replace a lot of her gear and some of my sponsors stepped up to help Kiva. And then there's this woman, Linda, from Minneapolis, I believe. And she's part of WEMA with women for motors, women on motorcycles, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and she was coming down with some of her friends to a trip in the Patagonia area. And she brought me and Kiva a bunch of gear and Kiva a bunch of replacement gear so they really (laughs) went above and beyond they put all of this stuff in their luggage and brought it to us in um, Santiago Chile and that was it was just really cool because the community really stepped up and helped Kiva and helped me so we were able to get back on our feet pretty quickly wow that's incredible Wima yeah that's uh, Michelle Lamfair who's on our raw show is uh, in, heavily involved with things. She's a president of the the U.S. chapter of that um, association. Well, that's amazing. So a contact through that brings you stuff. And that's just incredible. I mean, I'm always so impressed what uh, other riders will do for people when when somebody has a problem. So that had to really re-energize you guys after after getting ripped off for your gear. No, it was awesome. It was like, you know, your faith in humanity is shattered and then it's instantly repaired and even stronger. I mean, those ladies were just awesome. And everybody that donated to Kiva's GoFundMe, everybody that sent like messages, like, man, that that's really terrible. I'm so sorry. Like, is there anything I can do? I mean, most everybody knows in the motorcycle community, if you need help, like you're going to get it. And I just think that's so awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. 
So the other thing you mentioned was you got hit by a car. That's the, that's that's horrible. But hopefully it wasn't too bad. Talk about that. What what happened? Set that up. So it was like I said before the the week from hell. Um, Kiva, I went after we got robbed. Kiva stayed in the north a little bit longer, just sort of getting herself together. And we sort of needed a break from each other as we had just gone through some stressful situations and just mm-hmm. needed some time. So I went down to Santiago and I was going to get some replacement parts for the bike, just chain and sprocket stuff. And I made a right-hand turn and then <laughs> a car introduced itself to my motorcycle and myself. Not it wasn't too fast, but it was definitely fast enough. I didn't see it coming. Um, mm-hmm. I became a hood ornament and me and my bike bounced off and slid on the, the asphalt for yeah, a hot second. Yeah. Um, luckily, I was wearing, you know, boots, most of my, my chest armor and shoulder armor. I didn't have elbow armor on, so my right elbow got a decent scrape. And I got probably a minor concussion. I felt kind of, kind of queasy afterwards. And I've had a few. So <laughs> before that, I was always kind of, you know, I'd fall off the bike or I'd crash a little bit, and I'd be like, "Ah, oh, it's okay. Like get back on, blah blah blah." But after that, it was even walking down the street. Like I'd see cars out of the corner of my eye, and I'd like twitch just mm-hmm. just a little bit. And it took a long time for me to to get over that. For a while, I just did not want to get back on the motorcycle, but obviously I did. And you only had less than two weeks to get back on the bike. Yeah. And that, I think in Santiago, I was a day before that two-week limit. Oh, wow. What happened to your bike? The bike was pretty okay. I think the front brake disc got a little warped. Ever since then, the the front brake has been a little like it will it will hold, you, you know, like when the front brake's disc is a little warped. What it does when that Chatters. happens, um, yeah. yeah. The tank on the right side has a dent in it from my knee because oh. the car hit my knee and pushed it into the tank a little bit. Not mm. too bad. My right knee's fine. Um. Most of the impact was taken on the crash bars, which protected my leg. Thank goodness. Um, but other than that, she's okay. <laughs> oh, very, very lucky. Now, did, you said you're making a right-hand turn. How did they hit you? Where, where were they coming from? So there is, it was a bus lane. They were in the bus lane. And normally, you know, there's, the bus in the bus lane there. Um, And so you can see the bus above the cars. And I looked over and there wasn't a bus. And I was about to go past the turn that I needed to be on. So I was like, I got to get over there. I got to get to my turn. Um, So I definitely was not paying as much attention as I should have. Mm -hmm. Um, Personally, I think it was a pretty cheap lesson. Um, I'm fine. 
the bike still runs. As I was going down and sort of sliding, I was like, no, my motorcycle. <laughs> that's so, um, you, you're, you're back on the bike and obviously everything's worked out fine with it. And that's great. And did that change the way you ride? Yeah, for sure. It, it severely changed the way I rode for probably the rest of South America. Once I got to Europe, I think I, I chilled out a little bit, but for a while it was really stressful being on the bike. Cause even when cars pass you and they're plenty far away, it would just, it would just give me like this spasm of anxiety. Mm. Um, now that's pretty, that's all gone. I don't think that's something I deal with anymore, which is good. How did you get from South America to Europe? Like as far as your bike goes? I shipped from Buenos Aires, Argentina to Madrid, Spain, and I did it on a plane. And and you, you're arranging this all on your own? Yes. So how did I? Oh, I was part of a, a WhatsApp group chat called, I think, Motorcycles Going South. And on there, they were talking about like shipping companies. And I, I think I put a question on there and it was, um, Dakar Motos, I think is the name of the company. And they are based out of Buenos Aires, Argentina, and they can pretty much ship anywhere in the world. Did you have that worked out in advance or did you have to figure that out when you got down there? I think I had it pretty much all figured out by the time I was in Ushuaia, which was, I think, two weeks before I was in Buenos Aires. So I had it, I had it roughly figured out sort of beforehand. And I knew that there were shipping companies that worked out of Buenos Aires. So I wasn't super concerned. Um, it was something I had to work out in advance for sure. Mm. And you're not stressed about it while you were doing it. You found it totally easily, easy to handle. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's not a, uh, that's not a yes. I was concerned in I knew in my rational brain that it would be okay and there was plenty of people that had done it before and it wasn't a real issue but the rational brain could only do so much convincing so the rest of me was like oh my god what happens if this happens or this happens or what if it's ridiculously expensive or blah, blah, blah. blah. And it turned out only being 2000 or so dollars, like $2,300 to ship it over, which is as far as I'm concerned, very reasonable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And are you on a tight budget the whole time? Like, do you have more than enough money to do this or are you having to watch every penny you spend? The first half of the trip, I was like every penny was almost under a microscope. And I was trying to be very careful because I didn't have a lot of money. I saved up quite a bit of money. And then I had, I'm not like monetized or anything on socials. So I set up a GoFundMe for people that wanted to help support what I was doing. And that went really well. There was a CNN article that came out about what I was doing and then that sort of took off. So that secured me for what I thought would be the rest of the trip. But then 
when I had to change my plan and go through the Middle East and Asia, there was a lot more costs that went into that. I think around 12,000 more than I anticipated. Mm. Um, so there was another GoFundMe. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now I think I am set and I think I will be able to finish with possibly some extra, which I am hoping to donate to some sort of like adventure fund, basically. I want to either make a scholarship or find an organization that's already set up for it because this is not my money and I don't feel comfortable using it for my money things. So I'm hoping to put it to some good use. And you're on track for the for making it in time to to gain the title. Have you met all the other criteria? And what what is the other criteria? Just briefly, the the big points. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I know, yes. So the main criteria are you have to go a minimum of twenty four thousand nine hundred miles. You have to cross the equator at least once. You have to go over two antipodal points, which are two points that directly oppose each other on the globe. And I've done all of those, but the two antipodal points, which one of them was in Lima, Peru, and the other one is going to be in this tiny little corner of Thailand. Mm-hmm. So that's a, the antipodal points. It's like, a, like if you took a skewer and stuck it through the earth where it pierces the crust at both sides. That's what you're aiming for. And that's part of what they're asking for you. What, what about, are, are you required to have the same motorcycle? Yes, that is a that is a big thing. Is you are required to have the same motorcycle the whole time. You can't stay in one place for more than two weeks, and you're supposed to head in one sort of direction, so east to west or west to east. So you've been riding your Kawasaki the whole time. I have, and she has done so good. I'm so proud of her. She has had one leaky fork seal, and that's pretty much been it. And that's it. Wow. Do, do, are you running with a, would you consider your load a heavy load? Do other people say you're carrying a lot of gear or no? No, honestly, I consider that the most fastidious part of me. I'm not exactly the most organized person, but my motorcycle gear almost every week, every two weeks, I look through all of it and I'm like, do I need this? Do I not need this? Can uh-huh. I throw this out? I think I have around 80 pounds of gear. I think I have a little less than that now, but sometimes I carry like water and that brings it up a little bit. So she's at 300, so I can't put too much on there. And I think 80 pounds or I think 50 kilos is an appropriate amount. Yeah. The, the Versus X is a, a really nice bike and uh, it's great to hear that it's, it's been so reliable for you. I mean, one fork seal, you can't go wrong with that. Was it brand new when you left? It had... 400 kilometers on it when I left. Mm -hmm. Well, when I bought it. So I bought it in March of last year. Yeah. And I did like a test trip on it to the East Coast just to sort of a shakedown trip with all my gear and stuff. Um, But yeah, it was pretty much brand new. And then Kiva got the same motorcycle and she didn't have any problems with it either. Oh, wow. Well, that says something there right there. It's um. 
a good bike for that. And was there any time, because some people will, will, some people like to take large bikes because they say there's times when they need the large bike. Did you ever feel like you were missing out on, on size with the bike? Only when we were traveling in a straight line on a road with someone that had a bigger motorcycle. Like we traveled with this guy from Norway who had a Tenere and of course he was doing wheelies past us at, you know, umpteen speed and we're back there on our little 300s like, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, when you're on a trail or you're even on a twisty road, I never felt like diversities didn't have enough. Now I'm, you know, a smaller person. I'm 50 odd kilos, I think 58, 130 pounds. And, you know, Kiva's a little smaller than me. But even if you're a little bigger than I am, I don't think you'll you'll lose power on there. Now, if you're a, a big guy, the versus is probably not for you. But if you're a smaller person or a woman, I think it's I think it's a good bike. Mm-hmm. And those those straight stretches are the ones that you want to kind of avoid anyway. I mean, it's it's the least exciting, really, as far as riding goes. Yeah. And honestly, so, at this point in the trip, I'm so tired of going fast. I just oh right, because so you you felt a little rushed though, speed wise, right? Because you're you're trying to do this goal of of trying to beat the record, and so you have been pushing a little bit, or at least you feel like you are. Yes. There's been many times that I felt like I was just, I was just blazing through places. And now, like my favorite speed on the motorcycle, I think, I don't know what it is in miles anymore, but probably 85 kilometers per hour, which is probably 50s. It's just, it's a nice speed. I can hear my music or my audio book really well. And I can see things better and I have plenty of time to react to everything. And I just cannot be asked to go faster. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you got to Europe. Where have you been in Europe? Oh boy. I, I had so much fun in Europe. I'll be perfectly honest. So I, I started in Spain and then I went to France and then the UK for a hot second. And then I went to Ireland and I did the wild Atlantic way in Ireland. Um, and fun. I had, I had such a good time in Ireland, but my chain broke and my chain broke right between a pub and a hostel. And I spent the night and stuff, but I, I patched my chain enough to get it to the hostel. And I used like twine and wire and it looked so ratchet. And I was so proud. Um, but the next day someone got me a new chain link, but anyway, and then I went back to, to mainland to France and I went to Germany and then I went to the Netherlands, Denmark, Norway, Sweden, came back to Germany, went to Switzerland, Italy, and then I went east through and this is where it gets really fuzzy because we went through all these countries really, really fast. Um, Serbia? I would have to look at a map to remember the names. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Oh, that, that's a, boy, that's a lot of riding. It's a lot of experiences. And you just mentioned there that you, you fixed your own chain. 
you're doing your own bike maintenance as well? Yeah, um, there was, I did give Mab a proper service in Germany. Um, Kawasaki, Germany was very nice to me. And we went to their event in Spire, Germany, Kawasaki days. And they gave Mab like a full once over. They checked the timing and they, they replaced my chain and sprocket. They gave me new tires. They were super nice. Um, but they basically just said, she looks great. Like she's done really good for all the miles that you've put on her. And I honestly think it's just because I'm sort of an inexperienced rider and go slow and try and take it easy. Um, now with that in mind, there's definitely been a few times that I've, um, gone a little (laughs) crazy, (laughs) but for the most part, I've been nice to her. Did you train in in, uh, in marine mechanics or something like that? Oh, yeah. Um, after I went to Washington and went to work, I came back and I went to a technical college for a marine technician. So I just did uh, one semester and it was just like marine motors, uh, small inboard engines, like diesel, and then um, small to medium weight outboard engines which was something like growing up on the farm I was pretty familiar with like small engines and mid-sized diesels but it was really nice to be able to sort of get a professional (laughs) um, angle on that and that was I that was really helpful for being able to tell people like no the bike's fine or like this needs to happen oil needs to be changed here you know, just little stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So your background of, of growing up, dealing with the stuff, working on this stuff and repairing it, th- that definitely is, is an advantage for your riding. How important do you think it is that you're able to do that sort of stuff, or at least understand that when you're doing a trip like this? I, it depends. I personally think it's very important. I consider myself to be pretty independent and sometimes like we would take the bike to a shop just to get tires changed or the oil changed. Mm-hmm. And I literally would either hover or try and do it myself because I just <laughs> didn't trust them. Like, especially yeah, in South yeah. America, there were a lot of places that were just like, I don't want you to touch my motorcycle. Um, if you have a newer bike, it's probably not going to be that much of an issue. And you can probably get away with not knowing as much. If you have, say, a bike that's been used a lot or an older bike, you're going to want to know more and you're going to want to take parts with you. Because like an older bike, unless it's, you know, one of the tiny Hondas that are everywhere, they're probably not going to have parts for it. So Mm -hmm. I would say know your machine. What kind of toolkit do do you carry? It's pretty basic, so I've sort of customized it to have all of the wrenches and ratchets, Allen keys, that sort of thing for everything on the bike so I can take things off and, like, poke at it. Um, Mm -hmm. The most custom thing I have is I have a, um, oh, what is it called? It's for taking the oil filter off. It's, like, the specialized tool that has, you, you put it on, it's like a circle and it clamps on. Um, and that's mm-hmm. just because there was a point that I was changing oil filters and I wasn't sure if the new one 
had the right threads on it. So I didn't want to break the old oil filter because most of the time, you know, you put a screwdriver in it, turn it sideways and Bob's your uncle. But I didn't mm-hmm. want to do that. So I bought this tool. Turns out my suspicions were correct. Oh, I see. Because you don't want to wreck your old filter in case you have to put it back on. Yeah. Because then, you right. know, you, you don't have a filter. <laughs> uh, so that's the only specialized tool really I keep. I do have um, an extra fuel pump and an extra clutch cable, which I have not had to use. Mm, wow, nice. Is the clutch cable on or do you just have it in your bags? I just have it in my bags. I, for the longest time, meant to put it on the motorcycle, but now can't be asked. Also, the Versys has a slipper clutch, so it has a really, really light clutch. Like, I can comfortably use the clutch with one finger, so oh. there's not too much stress in the cable. Huh. And that's it. So, and, and really, with the, anything, you, you haven't had anything go wrong with it anyway, so you haven't had to worry about it. No, I've been... God, I pinch myself sometimes. I'm just like, I'm, I'll be honest. Sometimes I just wait. I just, I just look at her and I'm like, please, please don't do anything. <laughs> please get me back. <laughs> keep keep yeah. doing what you've been doing. So is, has, there, has there been any point on this trip, feeling the pressure of, of this deadline that you have, being out there on your own, has there been any point in this trip where you thought, maybe I just want to call it quits? <sighs> Every rider should understand that being seen on the road is paramount. Far too many drivers have said, I just didn't see the bike. So wearing bright colors can help, of course, your lane position can help, but one way they can't ignore us is through lighting. Day or night, auxiliary lighting is key to gaining a driver's attention. But of course, all lighting is not created equally. You need to buy quality lighting. Cyclops Adventure Sports makes high-quality lighting for us motorcyclists because they are riders just like us. They know what it's like to be on the road, and they know what we need on the road. Cyclops is a family-owned business and operated. It's a family of riders. They make a ton of stuff. LED headlight replacements, for instance, that will replace your, your incandescent headlight with an LED. Lower power consumption, so you can power some other accessories. But more importantly, LED gives you a much brighter headlight, much punchier light, and it's properly focused. Not like one of those cheap LED lights that spray light everywhere and have drivers flashing their headlights at you. That only gets you in trouble. You buy a quality light that Cyclops Adventure Sports has, and you know that it's focused properly. That's key. They also have accessory managers for CAN bus systems, lighting connections for CAN bus systems, just so much more. Cyclopsadventuresports.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Cyclopsadventuresports.com. Standing on your foot pegs gives you much more control over your motorcycle. I'm sure you already know that. But the question is, what are you standing on? Those stock pegs can easily be replaced with a larger, wider IMS Products foot peg. Why would you do that? Well, because a properly designed larger foot peg will give you more leverage for control and a better connection between your boot and the peg. And those two things will change what you can do with the skills that you already have. And then they will set you up 
to build new skills that you can do even more than what you're already doing. I did it. The, the, the change was incredible. I mean, seriously, ride changing. So much so that if I was to buy a new bike right now, one of the first changes I would make would be swapping out those stock pegs for IMS Products foot pegs. IMS Products makes a full line of properly designed adventure motorcycle foot pegs designed to suit your riding style. All are made in the USA, all using 17.4 cast certified stainless steel, all have gone through a certified heat treating process, and all come with a lifetime warranty. It's no wonder IMS products are used on so many top off-road racing bikes in the circuit. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. IMSproducts.com. Has there been any point in this trip where you thought maybe I just want to call it quits? The, I think the only time I really considered it was in Santiago after we had had that really awful week. And before that, so when we were in Colombia and then in Peru, I got hurt. So the first one was I was using my muscles and not my brain and tried to pick up Kiva's bike and threw out my back. Mm. And then in Peru, I was, we, we separated in Peru for a little bit and I did this really awesome and beautiful mountain path, but I crashed <laughs> and really messed up my knee. And then we had like, Kiva's chain broke. We got robbed. I went to Santiago. Kiva's chain broke again. Um, I got hit by the car and I was just, I was just hurting. Uh, And it was hard to sleep because I would, you know, I'd lay on my side or something and I'd wake up and my knee would be hurting or my back would be hurting or my head would be hurting. Um, And I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Cause it just, I was just so worn down and, but you know, I, you just push through it. It wasn't, it wasn't really an option to give up because people had literally and emotionally, I, at least I feel like invested in me personally and the idea of me. And I wasn't ready to let them down or let myself down. It didn't hurt that much. (laughs) (laughs) So if you weren't on that kind of trip, if you were just riding by yourself, do you think it would have been enough to push you to go back? Do you think it was, it was that commitment and those people that are behind you on your trip that, that kept you going? I think so. I don't know if I would have, at least intended on stopping completely, I think I probably would have gone home Mm -hmm. and tried to rest. And now after I went home, would I have gone back? I would like to think so. Mm -hmm. Um, But I definitely think it was sort of the, 
the commitment that other people had given me and the previous commitment that I had put into the trip and my honestly my personal ideal of myself did not include me quitting (laughs) (laughs) talk about that more What, what do you mean by that so like the idea there's the idea of yourself there's the idea of who you are who you know you are in the moment and there's the ideal of who you would want to be and who you would like to make yourself into at least this is personal this is you know what i how i think there's who i am right now and there's who i want to be and the person i want to be and i would like to think i am is not a person that would go home (laughs) (laughs) because it hurt in I probably will have, like, my knee still really bothers me and my back, especially if I'm on a longer ride, will hurt a lot. And I'm hoping that I haven't damaged it too much and I can go home and get some proper chiropractic assistance. But the person that I want to be is not a person that would give up because it was too much. Because it's... And this is just my personal experience with the life I've had so far, which, perfectly honest, hasn't been doing much except for the last four years. <laughs> it's never too much. It's only too much if you decide it is. Almost everything is relative to your previous experiences and what you know that you can deal with. And once you either are put or put yourself in a situation that is previously considered impossible and you push through it, it's incredible. Because all of a sudden, that thing that you thought was impossible is not only possible, you've watched yourself do it. And, you know, you get more confidence. You realize, oh my God, like I can do, I can do it. I can do it again. So Mm -hmm. it's pretty cool. Yeah, that that is for sure. What have you learned about yourself so far on this trip? Um, I've learned I can be pretty impatient. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I can get like an idea in my head. And me and Kiva, we've we've made a word for it. Uh, We call it crab claw brain. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, it's like, it's like your brain's a crab claw and you'd lock onto one idea and then maybe the world or your, like your partner, in this case, Kiva, has a different idea. And right off the bat, your brain doesn't want to let go of that idea. And it's like, hold on one second. We were doing this and now you want to do what? Um, but if you give yourself enough time to process the new idea, you can actually decide if it was hey, this new idea is a pretty good idea. Maybe we want to do it or no, it's not. But I would immediately dismiss things because my little crab claw was holding on to the previous idea um, and it was sort of a problem for a little while. And so I would be, you know, Kiva would be like, well, what if we did this? And I would be like, crab claw, like, give me a second. <laughs> um, 
So that's something I've learned a lot. And then working, being with Kiva, um, I realized that I would be either really impatient with Kiva or I would be impatient with myself, like in my motorcycle skills or planning and whatnot. I'd be like, well, you should have gotten this done already or you should have done that. Um, and with Kiva, sometimes I would get frustrated because like, you know, I would go fast on a trail because, you know, you go faster, you get stabilized and and you don't fall over. But Kiva would, you know, she would go slower and that was how she would keep upright. And so it's completely different styles. Mm. Um, and so learning patience with the differences in our styles, because, you know, for every compromise that I make for her, she makes one for me. And so there's there's no excuse to be mean or to be impatient because that's that's the other half of you over there. And you don't leave her behind. You don't, you know, get angry. You you talk about it later, but that's that's your buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Your riding partner, your security in a way, in some cases. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing implies with yourself. Like you don't, I personally, I try not to get mad at myself with the time. Like I let myself feel frustration, but I really try to be my own friend. Cause especially when you're by yourself and there's no one to get upset about, ex- upset at, but yourself. I think you can get into really dangerous waters and that's where real burnout happens, which on a trip like this and the way that I'm doing it, I have to be really careful with. Have you had that happen? Burnout? Yeah. Yeah. I think I've been the later part of South America. I definitely was, was getting some of that. And then, um, going through, the Middle East, it was so hot. It was 130 or 56. Yeah. It was unbelievably hot. It was so hot. I literally covered every inch of myself with clothes and water because it was like it, you had to wear a welding glove almost because otherwise your skin would burn. It was hot enough to cook bread. <laughs> um, so I definitely, I had quite a bit of, of burnout there. And, you know, I'm so close to being done. And I miss my family. I have a new niece that was born while I was in Turkey. Wow. And then I have, my other niece, Joan, who is now six. Um, and of course, the rest of my family, like I have a big family and we're all really close and I really miss them. And especially like my nieces now, I'm gone and I'm missing their lives and I'm missing them growing up. And sometimes that really hurts. <laughs> mm-hmm. You stay in touch with them. I'm assuming you probably do FaceTime calls or something like that. Yeah. When I can, like Joan will call me and she'll tell me about <laughs> what's going on in school or daycare. And 
she has this big map up on the wall and her parents will be will tell her like okay Bridget's here now and my dad's really good he takes tons of pictures and he sends them to me all the time and right now he works um he works on a ship in the Great Lakes and he works nights mm-hmm. so in the morning when I wake up and am most able to talk he's awake so I get to talk to my dad quite a bit He's always he's always asking questions, and sometimes I'm like, Dad, I need you to get a whiteboard and write things down because I've told you this like five <laughs> times. So, are are there periods of loneliness? Do you find that while you're traveling? Sometimes, yeah. Most often, I feel the the most lonely um, and the most isolated if I'm in like a big city by myself because I just don't know what to do. And there's so many people around and like lately, most of them don't speak the same language as I do. And if they do, it's very minimal. Uh, so it's mm-hmm. really hard to, to communicate and make connections with people. And then on the other hand, even if they do, you know, speak good English or, um, you know, we're friends or something. It's hard because I know I'm leaving and I know I might never see them again. So I try not to get attached, which can be very lonely. Um, and I, you know, I talk to my dad a lot. I talk to Kiva a lot. Um, I have a boyfriend in the UK that I talk to a lot, but it's getting harder because our time zones are changing a lot. So it's sometimes it's really hard. But, you know, I just try and keep busy and keep moving. How much of the ride was Kiva on with you? Kiva was, I spent two months in America and she was working at that time. So she wasn't with me. But from Baja, Mexico to Buenos Aires, Argentina, we were almost 100% of the time together. And I think that was eight months in South America, Central and South America. And there was like a few days in there where we took breaks. Um, I think the longest might've been a week or so. Um, But she was, you know, we were, you know, we were the team, Bridget and Kiva. Um, And then she came to Europe. I met up with her in Norway. And then... We went to Germany and she was given a press bike by Kawasaki, Germany. And we went through um, the rest of Germany and then Switzerland. And her insurance on the motorcycle did not include Turkey. So she had to turn around. Uh, and that would be one of those lonely moments when you're looking back in your mirror and, and you see Kiva sitting there as you have to ride on by yourself. Yeah, that was... Well, she, we were in Bulgaria, um, right next to the Black Sea. And then I was going to Turkey that day and, you know, I packed up my bike and everything and I was like, damn, I'm not going to see Kiva for months. Cause you know, I was doing, I've done now the Middle East and now I'm, I'm in Pakistan right now. Um, and I haven't seen her for two and a half months-ish, which, 
think is the longest time since we've known each other that we haven't seen each other in person. How much more do you have to do? Where, where do you go from here? So I go, so currently I'm in Islamabad, Pakistan. And then I think tomorrow I'm going to Lahore, which is a few hours south. And then I cross the border into India. And then I go to Nepal. And from Nepal, I fly me and the bike to Thailand because Myanmar's land border is closed. And then I ship to Vancouver, Canada. And then I drive the bike back into the States and go to northern Wisconsin. And then I'm done. So I'm hoping to be done on November 4th and have a party and sleep for a week. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think you're going to nail November 4th, like to that exact day? Have you been that good with your schedule so far? Um, I'm hoping if I'm in... If I get the bike out of Canadian Customs and I'm in the States by the beginning of November, which I'm planning on being, that should be fine. November 4th should be good. Mm. I hope. This is, you know, let go and let God. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is, the, you're talking November, right? I mean, so chances are you're, you're there's not going to be snow, but there's always the chance you got to go all the way across the, well, good way across the country. Yeah. Me, me and Mab are familiar with snow. Sorry, Mab's the name of the motorcycle. Um, Uh, When I got her, um, she was in St. Louis, Missouri. And that's 600 miles away from Wisconsin. And it was March. And I went down there in a van with my sister. And... I bought her and I drove her back and we didn't get back till two in the morning. And by the time we got back, it was minus 10. It wasn't snowing, but it was so cold and there was snow, of course, everywhere. And I, Mm -hmm. we stopped Walmart and I bought like the, the sticky square hot hands that are like the size of a tablet. And I put four on the front of me, four on the back, two in each of my boots. I put them in my gloves and I just, you know, shivered a whole bunch. My, I had this mask on that had two tubes coming out to either side. And when I got to my house, they were almost frosted closed and I couldn't unlace my boots because my fingers were so cold. So hopefully... It won't be that bad coming home in November. <laughs> Hopefully but not. I'll be fine. <laughs> so do you think when this is over that, that this is only the start of something else? Do you think you'll want to do more motorcycle travel? Or will this sort of give you your fill and say, hey, I've, I've ridden the world before I was 23. I think I'm good. I do not think I'm done. I think this is just another me opening a door and realizing what I'm capable of. I have so many other things Mm. that um, I have planned, (laughs) which (laughs) I am 
sort of laughing in the face of now. But like when I get home, I'm going to go back to working on boats. I'm going to try and um, finish my captain's license, which hopefully won't take too long. Um, I want to get a pilot's license. I want to go on more motorcycle trips. I want to go on a big sailing trip, either over to Europe or maybe around Cape Horn. Like there's all these things I have to do, which of course I have to work for and, and save money for. But you know, sky's the limit, man. I'm young. I have limbs that currently function, and I'm excited about life. Well, Bridget, it sounds like you started off early, and it's a good thing because you got all that stuff planned. It's just sounds great. I'll tell you what, when you get back, you make sure you reach out to us. I want to talk to you again after the trip is over. Okay, absolutely. Bridget, thank you so much for taking the time and and sitting there and on the foreign country and, and, and talking to me. I really appreciate it. Of course. It's been, frankly, an honor. I was so excited when I got your email. I was like, oh my God, I can be on Adventure Rider Radio. I've made it. Finally. Thank you so much. That was Bridget McCutcheon in Pakistan as we spoke. Her website is 2-wheels-round.com. Two wheels round with hyphens in there.com. We've got the link in the show notes along with some photos that she sent us of her adventure so far. You'll want to drop by and have a look. They're all the website, adventureriderradio.com. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin and of course to you. Thank you very much for listening to the show and, and making it what it is. Hey, this show is built on a model of advertising and listener support. We need your support. Drop by the website AdventureRiderRadio.com and click on support. Anything $10 or more gets you an Adventure Rider Radio sticker, which are really nice, high-quality stickers. We get them made of 3M material. So um, it gets you the stickers. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout-out on our Raw show. That's the other thing I want to mention to you. Adventure Rider Radio Raw comes out on the 21st of every month. That's Roundtable Talks. Yeah, if you haven't found it already, all the information is at our website, adventureriderradio.com. And if you didn't pick up on it already, every episode we d- we do, and we've been doing this for, well, we're coming up on 10 years. You realize this next year is 10 years that we've been doing it. So the early next year, we'll, be, we'll, we'll have done this for 10 years. Anyway, each, each one of those episodes that we've done has show notes where there's photographs and links and, and other information. So drop by the website and have a look. If you're listening to an episode, pop over to the website and check out the show notes for that episode. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you next week.
Hi, this is Jeremy Craker. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. 